So since I'm going to be uh, referencing the Bible a little later in today's episode, I want to start off by giving you my, um, my hermeneutic. And if you don't know what hermeneutic is, if you didn't graduate from Bible college, there's probably a good chance you don't know what that word means. Uh, but hermeneutic basically means interpretation or a way of interpretation. Okay, And uh, writers will often in very complex uh, stories will give you their hermeneutic or the ways in which you might interpret it. For instance, in Dante's Inferno, um, Dante actually said that there are two hermeneutics at work. One of them is that if you have, if, if you interpret it literally, it's the story of a man who dies and goes to hell. But there's also an allegorical hermeneutic or a way to interpret it allegorically, and Dante provides that. So I want to do that for you. I want to provide you with my hermeneutic, the way that I'm interpreting this particular text, because I think it's important um, when we talk about, especially in modern society, when we are referencing uh, an ancient book or especially a book or or a resource that carries some sense of authority in our world, I think it's super important that we disclose our hermeneutic, the way that we're interpreting that text, because it's already a complicated text because it comes from a very different world and a very different century, and then we receive it with centuries of religious baggage <clears throat> attached to it. So I want to provide you my hermeneutic for reading this text. First of all, the hermeneutic I'm using is not an authoritative hermeneutic, okay? In other words, I'm not using the Bible as if it is the final authority in what I'm going to be talking about today. That's part of my hermeneutic, part of the way I'm reading it and I'm, I'm relaying it. I don't want you to hear it as if I'm saying it authoritatively. Now, if you choose to believe it authoritatively, that's fine. I mean, if you really, if you really receive the scripture as being the final authority, you might hear the reading of scripture today and you might take some of what I'm interpreting from it and say, you know what, that interpretation fits with the way I receive this text and I do receive it as an authoritative text. You certainly can do that. But, you know, I, I just don't want you to feel as if that is the purpose or even the way that I'm reading that because it certainly isn't. You don't have to believe um, in, the, in Jesus of Galilee. You don't have to believe that the Bible is the final authority to hear what the saying I'm going to use today might be teaching us. <clears throat> Fortunately, uh, the saying I'm going to use from the Bible today is, is not overtly religious in nature. But it does include a, a pretty religiously loaded word, and that word is the word uh, holy or sacred. <clears throat> so I thought, you know, that's a pretty loaded word. Maybe I need to uh, hammer out my hermeneutic on that just a little bit. So I'm going to do that. Uh, two words, holy, two English words, holy and sacred, both from the same uh, New Testament Greek word. <clears throat> but both words, I think, even in English carry different force, right? Like when you hear the word holy, it's a very different word than the word sacred, at least the way that we un understand it. And so that, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going more with the understanding we have in English of the word as sacred rather than holy. Another way of putting it would be, I'm going to be using the word not theologically. I think holy, right, is a very theologically loaded word. I'm using that word 
as more of an anthropological term instead of theological anthropological not necessarily having to do with the divine but something that we can take as humans and 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 understand it in a very human way and i think that we can the word holy in a religious context means to be set apart okay to be set apart um, sacred, I think, is a great translation because, and sacred comes from, uh, I think, NIV, if I'm not mistaken. For those who care, you can look that up, fact check it. Uh, but sacred as a translation um, is a little bit better word because it also means set apart, okay, but not in any sort of divine sense necessarily. It means, you know, we sanctify something and we set it apart. We make something sacred, okay? Uh, theologically, for instance, if we use the word in a theological sense, we might say something is set apart from us because, or something is set apart because it is entirely distinguished um, from that which is is human or or entirely distinguished from us humans. This is often the way uh, that theologically uh, churches think about God. All religions think about God. God is holy. He is set apart. That is not my hermeneutic today for this word. We're not talking about that. I'm not even making a statement about that. Maybe I will one day, but that's not what this is about. <laughs> but anthropologically, we can take that same word, and instead of saying that uh, that it means something completely distinguished from us as humans, we might refer to it as something that is special and meaningful parts of human life. Okay, things that are sacred to humanity. And I think there's a lot of things that we could probably think of. I'm just right off the top of my head. I'm thinking about how my voice is sacred. You know, I talked about last week in the episode last week, 20 years I spent in the church and the church got my voice. Okay, by my choice. But that was something sacred that I gave, something sacred that I shared. And so that's how I'm going to be using the word today. I'm going to be talking about things that are sacred in terms of the things that are meaningful parts of human life. Not things that are separate from humanity, but things that are meaningful to humanity. And I think that is a very important distinction in interpreting the text that we're going to be talking about today, at least the way I'm interpreting it. There's tons of ways, tons of hermeneutics. I'm sharing with you mine. All right, so story time. Um, Thursday morning, I, I woke up, did my morning routine, <clears throat> and got to the part of the morning where I checked my text messages, and I had a couple of text messages come in from uh, from different people, uh, but two of them stood out to me. Two individuals had texted me, and the first message that I opened uh, from the first individual, I could tell that that person was in a in a pretty bad state. All right, they they were angry. Um, and, and the message that they sent me, whether they intended to or not, it left me feeling, I don't know, bad, like feeling some kind of way. And immediately I got defensive. I felt like, you know, what they were saying needed a response. And, and I felt like maybe I needed to, uh, go at them in an effort to ease my own feelings about what they sent me. And so I typed up a, a vigorous text message to this person, you know, and they weren't arguing, but it was, it was icky. 
And when I finished typing out the message to send to them, I I I just uh, I just felt bad. I just felt really bad. I um I looked back over my message, and it it just reeked of me defending myself, and I felt like I was posturing to uh, to keep favor. These are all things that drain me of my energy, and, and so I didn't send the message. The other text I got was from a friend uh, who is really going through a lot in life right now. If anyone has the right to send a message that feels like they're in a bad state or comes across as angry and frustrated, it should have been him. But his message didn't sound like that at all. It wasn't bad or angry. Even though it could have been given the circumstances of his life, they're not easy right now. And we ended up having a really good chat that morning and I, he asked how I was, you know, in the midst of his trouble, he asked how I was. And I always try to be honest when people ask me that question. You know, I don't want to dump all my burdens on them, but I shared with him. I said, hey, I'm, I'm actually a little stressed out right now. You know, business is weird and uh, life is a little uh, hard to navigate this week and I'm, I'm, I'm a little stressed. Following that conversation, he sent me a, uh, a recording, a voice recording message. And it was just so full of perspective that I needed that day. In his trial, he had reached out to some friends and they had given him some really good encouragement and advice. And he turned right around and gave me some of that. And at that moment, I realized <laughs> something that I kind of know in my head, but it was like an object lesson for me right there, that it makes such a difference when I'm conscious about who I interact with and who I share my energy with. Because energy, sharing of energy, is a two-way street. Do not <laughs> fool yourself. Okay, as someone who is uh, prone to be very giving in nature, um, you know, someone who actually enjoys serving others, it, it it's easy for me to forget how in, how energy works, and it's not just a one way street. It's it's always two way. When I give energy, I'm also receiving energy. When I interact with someone else, that interaction affects me as much or sometimes maybe more than I might affect it and vice versa. <clears throat> All right, second story. <laughs> when I entered seminary, uh, I just want to put a footnote here. This will come up, I'm sure, throughout this the journey of this podcast. Um, you know, I went to seminary as an antidote to my changing beliefs. You know, I've had people say things like, man, school really changed you. No, school kept me in the church years longer (laughs) um, had I not went, okay? And school was more of the antidote than the catalyst um, for any kind of major shifts in in my beliefs or, or perspectives on the world. So when I went to seminary, I went... Because I was reaching impasses in 
in my worldview, and I hate using that word because I know it's loaded these days, but in my worldview, I, there, there were plot holes. And, and I needed not someone to tell me what to, what to believe or, or what to think, but to give me the tools. And so that's why I went to seminary so that I could have the tools to kind of work through this on my own. And so when I went to seminary, I was super excited from day one because from day one, I, I, I found a professor who got it, who understood the plot holes I was seeing and was helping me connect dots that I had not connected before, giving me perspectives and tools and ways to think critically, the tools that I needed to actually work through some of the complexities that I was, I was banging my head against. And so as a result of that, you know, seminary became a very exciting time for me. I, I was super excited to share my new discoveries about scriptures and theology. You know, I was kind of conditioned to think the Pentecostal church was like this new wave of the spirit. So certainly if anybody was going to be open to new ideas, it wouldn't be the frozen chosen, you know, it'd be my tribe. And, um, I started to share my excitement. You know, I shared my excitement in church. I shared my excitement uh, with other ministers in, in over, over coffee and at dinners. I shared it on social media. You know, and my church, they were very receptive, you know, because they knew me and, and I was with them on a week-to-week basis. But the church at large did not receive my zeal very well. In fact, my zeal was met with a lot of criticism. And a lot of defending and posturing and rebukes, you know, from from my tribe. And so uh, I didn't really know how to process that at the time. You know, I, it was, uh, it kind of caught me off guard at the same time. I kind of wasn't surprised. I, I knew that religious minds are hard to change. And, and I get that. That's kind of the point of religion. So my zeal was met with lots of, Defensing or d- defensive postures and you know, all of that for you know a couple of years, and for a couple of years, I, I really wasted a lot of time and energy in the hopes that that my tribe would eventually share in my excitement, uh, that they would join me, you know, in this journey of new discovery and new ways of thinking, but they didn't. <laughs> Even those who said they were progressive, I I don't know. This is a soapbox moment here but even those who were who claimed to be more progressive i felt more like they were uh they were still gatekeepers to some degree and they bore that responsibility and maybe i'll share more about that later so yeah so for a couple of years i dealt with that and you know it was tough it was a very hard season for me and um it was around that time one day i was sitting around just kind of feeling my feels and you know Wondering where do where do I go from here? Being you know having such a exciting and you know invigorating new way of of uh, of, of of receiving and appropriating my faith, but now not really feeling like my tribe wanted to you know be on this on the same journey with me. I was reminded of this saying by Jesus of Galilee. During what Christians call the Sermon on the Mount, his alleged first public speech, 
Jesus of Galilee said this, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, it took me a few years to really internalize this teaching from Jesus. By that, I mean I understood it in my head, (laughs) but I hadn't had the life experience to really feel it in my gut. Now, it might sound like I'm using this saying from Jesus to call people pigs and dogs. I'm not. That, that's actually not the point of this saying. It's not The pigs and the dogs are not the subject or the object of this saying by Jesus. The subject is you. It's a command. So the, the, the subject is the hearer of that. It's, the, it's us. And the object is that which is sacred. That which is meaningful to you. Sacred things carry value for the individual, right? Like, you know, sacred, when we denote something as sacred, we are saying as humans, this thing carries maybe even the highest value for us as a human being. We value it because it means something. That meaning carries value, and so it is set apart to us. It is something that is meaningful. And it is unwise to share things of value or things that are meaningful with those, that who, with those who do not value it as much as you do. It's just unwise. Because they don't know what to do with it, so they'll just walk all over it. And you may not be in a position in your life at, you know, to really understand and receive that in a healthy way. You may feel, you may take it personally. It may really affect you deep, more deeply than you thought that it would. And so it's unwise to share your things of value, things that are meaningful with those that don't value it in the same way because they'll just walk all over it like pigs would over pearls. <laughs> Or worse, they will turn on you for trying to bring value to that which they detest or that which they refuse to value, that which they refuse to find meaningful. And in those cases, can get ugly. I know firsthand how ugly that can get. I know I might come across as bitter and who knows, maybe I am a little bitter. Okay. I'm, I'm working on it though. I really am. But what I'm telling you is not just feelings. No. Mm -mm. I, I lost my job (laughs) at a church years ago when I, when I was still in seminary because of things like this, okay? And not something I felt. It's something real that happened. The point of the saying 
by Jesus. Put it simply. He was empowering the listeners, which, by the way, is kind of what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. It's an empowerment of the audience in my hermeneutic, (laughs) my interpretation of it. And he was empowering his audience to take control of their own energy and resources. To put it simply, he was saying, you choose who you share meaningfulness with, so choose wisely. You choose who you're sharing meaningfulness with, so share wisely. Now, this is true on on a micro level and on a macro level, okay? On a micro level, day-to-day basis, you have the choice of who you're going to share your power with and who you're not. And I would say everybody has that on a daily basis, has that power. I shared that thought on social media last week, got a lot of positive comments and nothing really negative, but there were some, some folks who pushed back and said, well, I don't get to choose today because I've got to do this. I've got to go to work or I've got to go take care of this. And so that's more of the macro level. So it sounds really cool and powerful to say (laughs) you have the choice every day who you'll share your power with and who you won't. But on a macro level, we got to acknowledge that there are some times and some days when we have no choice who we're going to share our energy with just because we got to do stuff, got to take care of shit, right? In those cases, which are very likely for those of us who live most of our time in the real world and not the, just the virtual world. So when we when we when we we have to acknowledge those times and when we come into those times, here's what we have to do if we're going to if we're going to make sure to to hold that which is sacred, sacred and to be worthy of holding those things sacred. So in those cases, we got to get real specific with what energy we will share and what energy we won't. And if it's a business situation, at what cost? Okay. We have to acknowledge on some days we're going to have to share our energy, which is sacred. We're going to have to share things, share time, share some sense of meaningfulness with people that we did not choose to share it with, whether it's on the job or the workplace or just in the grocery store. We're around people. We have to have some energy interactions going on. So in those cases, you've got to get real specific with what energy you're going to share, what energy you're not going to share, and at what cost are you going to share this energy. And if we can navigate an environment like our workplace, uh, for example, by distinguishing the energy that is for all and the energy that is sacred, then that's ideal. If you can navigate it that way and distinguish between what energy you're willing to give, if it's worth the price, worth the cost of your time, And if you're getting compensated for it, is it worth it? 
And if it is, this is the energy I am going to share, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this part of my life get muddied up by my job. If you can navigate that by making those clear distinctions and setting those boundaries, both internally with yourself and externally with others, then that's ideal. And if you can't, then it may take some practice. Because <laughs> you probably can. It's just you haven't. And that's why you feel depleted because people are always taking the energy from you that you're willing to give them. And if practice doesn't fix it, it may mean you need to change the environment. And that's tough. It may mean a career change. It may mean all kinds of things. But if it can't be navigated, if the if that which you hold sacred is constantly being thrown under the feet of those that you're trying to interact with and share meaningfulness with, then it might be time for a change. And anytime you got to go through changes like that, it's super scary, right? Like a career change or a lifestyle change or anything like that is scary, but it is within your power. Now, we live in a society that always likes to argue from the exceptions. So I know some of you are already thinking, well, that's just not true for everyone. There are plenty of people that do not have any control, any power over their own energy. And that's true. It's, it's a very, 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 very unfortunate. Like, I'm not here to say anything about that because those are the exceptions to the rule and they are rare and they are traumatic and we might even label those things as evil or wicked as they should be in many cases. But more often than not, for, for most of us, we are in control of all of our power.